This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Hello everyone. Takaho. Selamat datang. Konnichiwa. Hola. 안녕하세요. Assalamu alaikum. And Kiora. Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz. You are listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. 
Kira, everyone. Welcome to Connecting Cultures Features, a show by for and about the multicultural people of Dunedin and New Zealand. I'm here with Kieran Patel. He is the trustee of Adhikar Aotearoa, here to talk about um, the report that they've had uh, released recently and, um, you know, just to talk to Kieran and know more all about him. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you. How are you today? Yeah, good. Doing good. Yeah, I think we've, we've finally had a nice day here in Wellington after quite a while, so I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> it's not a good day in yeah. Dunedin, so... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> As always, but... <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. You kind of have to take what you, what you can keep, I think, with, <laughs> with Wellington and Dunedin. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, what do you do? Um, so, <clears throat> I... Have recently just left my job. Um, I was working as a uh, strategy advisor for the Tertiary Education Commission. Um, so I was there for about a year, and it was really enjoyable. I really liked working for government and kind of getting to like dip my toes in that world a little bit. Um, but I also am involved with Adika Aotearoa, which is a charitable organisation uh, set up for mostly uh, South Asian LGBT plus people. Um, so I've been working as a trustee for them for the past five or six months, um, which has been really cool and just doing that part-time and casually um, and working with like on the odd jobs and um, yeah, it's been, it's been a really cool experience. So I'm mainly focused on that um, I, because I'm currently in a break period and I'm going back to university to do my master's next year. Um, yeah, I've just been taking a bit of time for myself, kind of exploring different creative things and um yeah i've started making a vlog channel um, on youtube, <gasps> on YouTube? i wanted to do for quite a while oh my oh, god yeah, yeah it's super scary it was like i've been picking up the camera for the first time recording myself i was like oh my gosh i don't know what i'm doing yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's been really fun it's really cool to like do something a little bit different um especially you know after being at a desk job for quite a while yeah um and yeah just getting to kind of yeah have my own routine and then kind of yeah, explore all my little creative hobbies. So, yeah, to sum that all up, yeah, a lot of a lot of different things at the moment. <laughs> uh, that's so cool, though, knowing that you have this break before you start your masters, that you you get oh, to definitely. do all these different things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm so happy, and I think I've wanted this for quite a while. I think you know, as we were kind of saying before, like just processing the past couple of years. I think I'm realizing in these past few weeks that like so much has happened with COVID and just everything going on around the world. So, um, yeah, I think I'm I'm really grateful and like lucky to kind of be able to give myself the chance to just actually take a break um mm. for the first time and and probably ever and you know like yeah. actually um yeah just get to take some time for myself and um rest and you know not kind of be have feel the need to be so productive and you know always on the go and and things like that so yeah it's really awesome and I'm, I'm really really lucky to be able to do it hmm. I like that yeah. you mentioned about productive productivity it's like um we've um there was this trend back then when People want to be productive. People want yeah. to, you know, do things. Um, and now people are resting. Resting is productive. Um, yeah. You know, just doing things, being present, you know. Um, and I oh, really sure. like that. It's what we yeah. need. <laughs> Definitely. I think huh. we've kind of, like, got into this point, I think, where you, we kind of realize that the rest is such an important part of that productivity because obviously being productive isn't everything but you know like you do actually need that time for yourself to rest and rejuvenate and like do different things rather than just working yeah. all the time and making kind of work your whole life so yeah I think it's taken me a long time to realize that as well and only now having this time off do I realize how important the rest actually is because otherwise you just get burnt out so easily and I think being so connected to 
everything that's going on in the world, having social media, being, you know, hearing the influx of bad news and all that kind of stuff all the time. Like it, it really takes a toll, you know, and I don't mm. think, I don't know if we've properly really acknowledged <laughs> that um, yeah. in the past couple of years. So yeah, it's really, I, I think it's super important to actually be able to take breaks and, you know, look after our mental health and um, yeah, just realize there's kind of more outside just the work that we do, you know, like yeah. the kind of real people and, and have real needs that, um, yeah, just as important. Yeah, hustle culture doesn't work for us anymore. Oh my God, no. <laughs> Remember back then when we actually thought that we had to do that? Exactly, we had to hustle? Yeah. Oh my I God. don't know about you, but I feel like when I started my first job, I was like so excited to be like a young professional yeah. um, after university. You know, I was so excited to get, because I'd only kind of done like hospitality jobs and, um, you know, part time jobs up until that point. So I think getting into that world, I was like so excited because I was like, oh, I can't wait to kind of live that like nine to five. Yeah. Thing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, Yay, nine to five. Exactly. Productive. Yeah. Almost like romanticizing like the office life. I don't know yeah. where I got it. Maybe it was like friends or like shows like that yeah. kind of made it seem almost like glamorized a little yeah. bit. But um yeah, I definitely like romanticize it so much. And yeah, I think the more you kind of do it and the more your whole life is just based around this one job and yeah like the whole hustle culture thing constantly growth and you know that whole like narrative I think is just so like dangerous you know yes. because you just I, I found myself getting burnt out so quickly just working full time and you know putting my full energy into that that I didn't really have a whole lot left for myself mm. so um yeah I think I think I'm so glad that we're kind of moving away from well at least I hope we are moving yeah. away from that kind of idea and yeah hopefully find more flexible ways to do work because mm. yeah I, it's it's not a what what's going on right now <laughs> yeah this goes along really well with our generation as well um because you know we are in the same generation and yeah. um with one of our biggest struggles like collectively is climate change you know just knowing yes. that you know that's happening so um you know that we are constantly aware that there will be a time when the world isn't going to be so nice anymore <laughs> absolutely mm. yeah i mean even experiencing it now you know like it's it's so <laughs> not to get all existential on, <laughs> on your podcast but yeah it, it really is wild to think about sometimes like i think i have those moments at least like two three times a day where i'm just like oh my god like we're really living through like a climate crisis yeah. right now you know but i really feel for like young people especially i mean like i'm 24 so i guess still young but yeah. you know like the especially the younger gen z like i really feel for them the ones who have kind of had to go through school and university and have been so shaped by like the internet climate change um, yeah. covid as well having to kind of do all have those like sort of you know coming of age experiences through lockdowns and um you know, like have it like their whole image is kind of based around how they're perceived on, you know, Instagram and Facebook. And I feel like that must just be so difficult. Like I'm kind of, I'm guessing you're the same, but like coming in that time where at least we still kind of had a bit of the old sort of, you know, like yeah. early 2000s lifestyle. Like 90s where kid, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where like the internet and stuff was there, yeah. but at least we kind of got to live outside of that. Whereas now, like, I don't know how they do it, you know, like mm. it's, it's just, yeah, it's wild to kind of see that um, in person, but. Uh, yeah, man, I <laughs> credit to our generation for somehow still Honestly, yeah. because it's, it's really wild. Eh, to uh, think about sometimes. <laughs> I, I feel like we can talk about anything on this podcast, oh you know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try to scoop it in a bit um, nice. and talk about <laughs> cultural identity. Do you mind sharing me your culture? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm Gujarati Indian. Um, I was born in New Zealand, so I've lived here pretty much my whole life. But yeah, both my parents are originally from Gujarat. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, 
it really I, I guess I guess you know like I still definitely identify a lot with my like New Zealand um, identity because obviously like I've lived here my whole life I've grown up in a very like western uh, household and just way of living but I also feel very connected to you know my Gujarati side as well I would love to be able to learn the language because we didn't really um, speak it growing up even though both my parents speak it um, so it's definitely a goal of mine. I, I'm learning to cook more Gujarati food. I always send my mum my little like rotis that I make because oh. <laughs> I'm so proud. Like I remember watching her when I was a kid and she would just do it. You know, like mums yeah. just have that thing where they just do it without even thinking like yeah. chuck the spices in, like don't need to measure anything. Like, yeah. So I remember like watching her do it and I always wanted to, you know, be able to like emulate that as well. So I always send a picture saying like, mum, look at my, look at my rotis I made. Like, I hope you're proud. Um, but yeah, that's been a really cool thing that um, I've gotten to like explore a little bit more. Um, and yeah, I think other than that, like just my Indian culture as well. Like I've just always loved it. I always, you know, tried to celebrate it. Um, however, it's always felt like something that is like very specially mine, you know. And mm. that um, I think, especially for a lot of like New Zealand-born um, multi, uh, yeah, multicultural people, like it, there is often that disconnect between you know being uh, feeling like a Kiwi and also trying to explore your uh, like other identity as well and your. I guess differentness but um I think for me like I always saw that as being like a really special thing and something that I could really enjoy through the movies and the music and the food and um all of that kind of stuff so yeah I think I I really enjoy getting to have these like really different parts of myself that are you know all kind of included and in, in what makes makes me me, me. Yeah. I love that it means we have more choices as well <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah definitely hmm. yeah um so growing up um you want to share with us your like sense of belonging in New Zealand has that ever been different while growing up you know knowing that you are um Indian Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I, I think it, um, like it's one of those things that you don't really realize until I think you kind of get older and you can look back and be like, oh, that's why I was treated that way. Or that's why I was kind of made to feel like that, you know, because at the time I think it, you were like being a child, you're kind of just going through the motions and you're, you know, being dragged from place to place and mm-hmm. going to school and, and, you know, everything's kind of happening to you rather than you having any agency in your life. So I think for me, like, I, I think I always felt different. And I, at that age, when I was, you know, like 10, 11, 12, I could never figure out why it was that I, you know, felt so different, why I got treated differently, why I just, like, never seemed to fit in with people. And, yeah, I think being able to look back on that now, I think a big part of it is definitely being queer, but then also I think being Indian as well. And the more I kind of think about that, the more I get those memories of, like, people you know, saying, like, racist things to me, like, calling me a curry muncher, like, mm-hmm. yeah, making fun of, like, my parents, saying that I own a dairy, like, you know, all those little <laughs> things that I think are almost, like, oh, so stupid. Yeah. Um, but all those little things that I think are, like, somewhere in my subconscious that I don't really think about, you know, as I was a teenager or anything, but now that I look back on now, I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, it did actually happen a lot more than I think I was willing to acknowledge because I think you're also trying to just assimilate to everything else that is around you Mm. um and trying to kind of fit in with I think like you know the Pakehaness that is just so a part of our culture and the way that we you know operate in the world so um yeah I think it's taken a long time to kind of I think realize how much that was a part of my childhood and, and a part of my like formation of my identity as well but um you know I think at the same time like it's also just really like big life experience too I think facing that at at a young age and kind of realizing what um like discrimination and you know oppression look like getting to learn more about my identity why people 
you know, treated me differently, like getting to just kind of learn more about that and, and come to really like love my culture and come to really like respect what like my parents and my grandparents and, you know, all those people, you know, all the like Indian community that had to migrate here and what they dealt with. Like it, it just gives me a whole new respect that is like, yeah, I would, I would go through that a hundred times again, hmm. you know, because I feel so proud of it now. And I feel so like fortunate to be able to, I guess, like carry my culture forward in a way, you know, hmm. and, and hopefully like my ancestors sacrifice of like coming to this country. I hope that I can somehow do that justice. Um, that sounds really dramatic, but <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, like just, I, this yeah. is how we feel. And yeah, um, it's, it's very valid. I think for me, like belonging is such a roller coaster experience. Like, wow, I feel so belong. Oh my God, who am I? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so It's always so like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you for sharing um, about that. I think, um, you know, a lot of, people can relate to that it's just such a um feeling of um awkwardness of living just being um the other in new zealand um and like you're basically a third culture kid so Mm -hmm. mm, so i'm sure your parents have their own um their own ways of like raising a child in Aotearoa, you know, that must have been exactly. a hard thing as well. Mm. Yeah, I think what's really interesting in that too is that I think my mum, uh, yeah, I think I ex- had expressed to her before that like I really wish that, you know, we had learned like Gujarati growing up and that we had spoken it at home. But I think her thing uh, was, and, and my dad as well when they were living together, was that, you know, they felt because we were growing up in New Zealand and we were growing up in this very Western society, they didn't really see the point in teaching us the language you know they didn't really see the use in it because our roots were pretty much going to be here and you know they wanted us to maybe not deal with things that they had dealt with growing up being from very um you know cultural families that were very strict Mm. and uh you know very traditional and things like that I think they didn't want us to have that same experience so I feel like that almost gives it like a whole new lens now where it's just like oh yeah they they definitely had to make choices um you know being kind of the being othered in the society that we were living in you know and it's, it's just really interesting to yeah look back on it and be like oh wow that was yeah that, that was a choice that you know they kind of had to make at that time yeah and i'm sure we have friends who actually live in um, those traditional homes where uh, they step out of the house and they're kiwi and every time they come in they're you know um, a southeast asian again um, yeah, so it's yeah. really interesting to see those different parenting styles and you know the choices that the parents had to make um to because they would know what's best for their children in uh, some cases yeah yeah and so much respect to the children as well I think for like doing navigating both of those identities you know because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I like there are a lot of friends like that as well who have to you know I kind of get to be themselves outside of the house and around their friends and you know do certain activities and stuff like that and then as soon as they go home it's just like a whole nother story because their parents don't know that kind of side of their life or uh, you know wouldn't yeah. kind of be okay with with how they do it and the kind of friends they have and stuff and it's just like blows my mind sometimes because I'm just like you know I feel like my mom was always just super cool and super chill and never had a problem with anything so I think seeing that and and especially with other Indian friends as well I'm like wow you had such a different experience growing up and really had to try balance those two identities so carefully because it is such a generational difference I think and and you know how we kind of grow up and how we're kind of going through life so yeah it's it's 
big, big respect to them for that. Mm, which is <laughs> yeah. why we can't generalize experiences of ethnic mm. people because it's mm-hmm. so diverse. <laughs> We're not so one box. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think especially with this ID card report, like I think that is the biggest thing that came out is that there are so many different lived experiences that you really cannot just boil it down to one singular narrative of a person, you know, because people have just just lived through everything and it's you know it's it's so i mean definitely heartbreaking in a lot of ways but it's also just incredible to see how much like collective strength and resilience we've all had in our different experiences you know whether Mm. we kind of grew up in india grew up here uh what our relationship with our parents are like like so many different things it's just really cool to see you know all those different paths that we've had Mm. let's talk about the adhikar otiroa um report um Mm. I had the privilege of reading it, and I love it so much. Um, And were you one of the editors of the report? Yes, yeah, yeah. I um, edited and proofread it at the end. How was the experience doing it? Oh, my gosh. I think it was just um, pretty harrowing, to be honest, (laughs) the first time reading through it, because I was actually a part of the study. I was one of the participants, but this was before I was um, involved with Arika Aotearoa, so I kind of knew you know, the questions that they had asked and the things we had talked about. And I felt like my experience was pretty, you know, I'd kind of internalized it so much that I was like, God, I've had such a tough experience being, you know, queer Indian in New Zealand. And in a lot of ways, obviously I have, and I've, you know, had to deal with that trauma. But I think when I actually edited this report and saw, saw all the different stories, I just couldn't believe how much, you know, this community has been through and how much we've had to really struggle and fight just to exist as ourselves. You know, I think, in the same way that it's really hard to read. It's also really inspiring at the same time, because I think you just see so much strength and and like courage to keep on fighting and keep on trying to find that authentic expression of, of how they can really live live as themselves. And um, yeah, so it was really tough the first time. Um, I kind of had to take it in little goes and and just kind of take deep breaths every time something really difficult came up. But I think it's just so needed and it's come at, you know, a time where when we're really starting to talk about diversity and, um, you know, cultural recognition and all those kinds of things that, um, yeah, needed to be said. And I'm so proud that we've kind of been the first to be able to do this for, you know, queer South Asian people as well. Yeah. And New Zealand. It's so important. Um, Like, I before reading the uh, Adika Otero report and even without knowing about it, it's like, oh, right, we have, we've never had this report that um, on South Asians, LGBTQI plus communities, you know, it's like, yeah. Huh. Hmm. Exactly. It, it, it was quite shocking to me as well, but like at the same time, it wasn't because I think I had that lived experience. So I was just like, you know, and I think the, the thing that came up so much was people saying they didn't realize how many people also existed just like them kind of like what I just expressed before but you know like you kind of feel because we are such a small community that you kind of feel like you're the only one with this lived experience you mm-hmm. know and until like I kind of joined um Arika Aotearoa and you know participated in the report and then reading the report and everything it's like oh my gosh there are so many people just like you and yet we all feel that same thing of isolation and like our story is just ours and you know nobody kind of understands what it's like and stuff so I think that's why it's so cool to get a report like this that really is the first of its kind so that so many people after this you know that are identify as queer and a South Asian um, can really see this and, and know that they're not alone in their experience. Hmm. Can you share with us a common struggle of the uh, community that's um, reflected in the report? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that jumped out is the having to balance the different worlds of 
uh, facing both racism but also queer phobia as well. I think that was one thing that was discussed a lot where you're kind of, I think there was actually a quote in the um, executive summary that said, you know, being queer and South Asian feels like being marginalized twice over because you don't, you know, you, you're shamed by your community for being queer and then you're shamed by the queer community for being South Asian, you know, so you kind of having to balance those two things is so difficult. And I think until I saw that really written down and expressed by so many of the participants, like it's so true, you know, you really don't feel like you fit in either of those worlds. So not having that sense of belonging and not having that sense of really understanding your identity and how you fit in is like super, you know, very traumatic and, um, yeah, I think that was definitely something that got discussed quite a lot. Uh, also, people discussing transphobia um, as well, and just there being a very stock standard way of um, very stock standard way of like dealing with uh, the you know LGBTQIA plus community as well. That is very um, Pakeha specific. It's you know structured through Pakeha systems. It's uh, very much catered to that whereas you know we have such different experiences and you know worldviews and cultural backgrounds and family dynamics we can't have the same sort of you know resources and support yeah and kind of like you said you know there are so like it's such a nuanced experience to be south asian but the fact that we don't really even have a standardized way of accessing healthcare or you know mental health support seeing a counselor that understands our lived experiences even very basic things like that you know that makes such a big difference to how someone can go about their you know day-to-day life so um yeah I think it's I think that was definitely a big thing too feeling like we don't have the resource or the support that are specifically catered to us and our needs I think one last thing that I found really interesting and I think it was the first time I'd, I'd ever heard of this as well was something called uh preemptive uh distancing preemptive distancing which means uh someone who when they realize that they're queer they actively try to distance themselves from their family members so that uh you know when they do come out and if they're most likely not accepted it means that they won't have to have that difficult process of cutting ties with their family Mm -hmm. so they're already in their head making those plans to say okay well i'm gonna start moving away from you know, being close to my family or talking to them because as soon as I come out or as soon as I express who I really am, they're not going to want anything to do with me anyway. And I think that is just truly like one of the most heartbreaking things that I ever, you know, saw in that report because it's it just really speaks to how much trauma, you know, growing up with this identity and it not being spoken of and not being acknowledged really does to someone that they have to distance themselves from their family early because they know that they're not going to accept them for who they are. So there was just so many themes and so many different things that came out of this that, um, yeah, you know, like we're saying, it's, it's such a nuanced view of who the queer South Asian community is. Hmm. I also yeah. read somewhere that um, the term <clears throat> coming out is a very westernized thing right Mm -hmm. um do you have anything to say about that um because it's like it's not it doesn't really work with like ethnic people like coming out (laughs) you know absolutely yeah and i think that was brought up quite a lot in this report and one thing i really liked is the language used of uh letting in Mm. so that was kind of like the antithesis to coming out which which i think is a really cool way to see it um, and yeah, exactly like you said, I think with ethnic communities, it's so much more difficult. And I think one specific person actually spoke about this in a report that, you know, a lot of their Pākehā queer friends express, you know, like, oh, well, why don't you just sit down with, you know, your family and have, you know, you're coming out or write a letter to them or do something like this. And it's just like, 
you it's <laughs> not the same thing you know it's just there are so many different like cultural um things that go into that not being possible that a lot of people just don't understand you know and especially I think another thing that came up was that um you know a lot of especially for South Asian people are raised by their grandparents who definitely come from a much different background and way of life and mm. principles and values and all that kind of stuff so um you know the extended family is just so much more important in South Asian communities as well where it, you, it's not just coming out to your parent you're coming out to everybody you're coming out to that whole community you're coming out <laughs> your to your aunties your uncles yeah everybody <laughs> your cousins. Like a list that you gotta <laughs> take off to everybody and I mean this might be a little bit uh, disparaging but I think you know <laughs> like aunties love to gossip so yeah. <laughs> you know I think as soon as it goes to one of them it's going to absolutely everybody so you know there's there's just so many layers that you would have to think of in a situation like that that it's just not possible and I think having that assumption there that all queer people can come out at some point or that your parents will understand or, you know, that kind of thing is, is you know, I think quite outdated and very very much like a singular, uh, very much isolated to certain people. You know, I don't think it's just a communal experience that can be shared. And, um, you know, I think there are different ways that it, that it can be looked at for sure. Hmm. Um. You've mentioned that there was um, that the term that surprised you. Um, are there any parts of the report that you, like Adi Kaltira, found surprising um, that you'd never thought about before? Um, I think that preemptive distan- distancing one was, was definitely the biggest one, you know, because mm. I, I, I had never heard that term before. I didn't even know that that was a thing. But I think as soon as it was explained, it was like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's so true. And it's just one of those things that you would do without even wondering why you're doing it you know because I think you're just so accustomed to having to hide a certain part of yourself from your family and having to keep secret you know what your true identity is that it just becomes a very normal part of your life so I think seeing it be explained in that sort of way where it's almost like a a, an actual like term or an actual phenomena that happens was was really surprising and it's like you know it, it just makes it feel so much more real and I think the experience that so many people from this community have to go through um, I'm just trying to think of if there was anything else that came up. I think probably, uh, definitely the amount of, uh, mental health struggles that the community went to as well. I think it was very heartbreaking to hear about the amount of people that had, you know, tried to commit suicide before and had, you know, gone to, uh, counseling or therapy and had not really received the support they needed and had not been understood through their unique lens of being South Asian and, and being queer. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely, I think, quite overwhelming that how many people had actually, had actually dealt with that and how many people had been either, you know, discriminated against physically, mentally, uh, emotionally. You know, it, it was such a common part of being a South Asian queer person that it's just, it's really sad to know that that is almost like a identifying part of who we are, you know, that, that our trauma and the violence that we face is so linked to being South Asian queer. Um, so yeah, I think there was a, there was a lot of things that came out of this report that is, you know, I think really hard to read about, but almost not shocking. And I think anybody that is queer and that is South Asian would understand why, because, you know, we are, I think we've been so used to being resilient and so used to having to jump through hurdles to simply live as ourselves. So I think now just seeing it written down all in one place with, from so many different people would just, I think really reaffirms that view we've already had of ourselves, um, but I think too, like on the other, like flip side of that too, I think that strength and resilience is also like an incredible thing, you know. And it was written in the executive summary as well that like 
through this report, you just see how many people really had to like dig deep within themselves to get through a really bad situation, to get through, you know, dealing with domestic violence from abusive family members, from getting kicked out of their communities. You know, so many people have really just gone through it to be themselves. And I think to be able to read about that, and especially even the coming out stories as well, I think were really beautiful because there are a few examples of really, really nice ones where they had understanding family members or, you know, family members who at first were really uh, against it. And then after getting to know their children really started to understand this identity and support them. Um, It's really beautiful to read about. And yeah, I think, you know, what I've kind of been harping on about this whole time is I think just getting to see the nuance and the different, um, you know, people's uh, identities is is definitely the best part of, of all of this because everyone is so different and have had such different experiences. And yeah, we're all here, all trying to figure it out, all trying to live as our authentic selves. And yeah, I think that's just just really beautiful. Yeah, it's great that this report exists to share those stories. Yeah. Um, so what would um, Adika Oterowa recommend? Um, are there any recommendations that from the report that, um, you know, it's part of the report that you're recommending for society, maybe? Yeah, I mm. think there's quite, we have a recommendation section at the end of the report. So we've actually divided it up into, uh, you know, what we recommend to, you know, policy and lawmakers, to uh, community and social workers, to educational institutions, media, um, and then, yeah, there is a little bit that at the end that is society at large, so it might be useful to kind of maybe read that out and just for anyone listening that, that might be wondering how they what they can do and how they can help. Um, so, yeah, so I think the first thing is to have an open mind to understand, um, you know, the ethnic LGBT plus experiences and struggles, um, and I think what we were discussing before about so much of the time our experiences just get grouped into that, you know, Pākehā queer experience or into the South Asian experience, but I think really getting to understand how we differentiate from each other, no matter what our kind of similarities may be, we are still a different group of people that deserve to be treated as such and deserve to have the support and resources that we need to, um, you know, thrive as as ourselves is really important. So, yeah, just being open, listening, um, you know, kind of getting to know who we are and and, and what we've been through and and trying to understand that is really useful. Um, Sorry, I'm just reading. I kind of explained all of that in one (laughs) one big thing. Um, Yeah, obviously... Uh, not exhibiting racist, uh, xenophobic, queerphobia uh, attitudes. I think just speaking to people, uh, you know, that are queer or that are uh, of a different cultural background is really the best thing that you can do. I think there's almost this need nowadays to always have an opinion or always have a voice. Um, You know, and obviously we should be voicing support, but I think a lot of the times, like this report really emphasises, you know, the community is where the knowledge is. And I think actually speaking to people of colour, speaking to queer people, um, and understanding their experiences and listening to what they think would help and what would, you know, benefit them is so much more important than kind of needing to add your two cents all the time and um, show, vocally show that you're an ally. You know, I think sometimes listening is actually a lot more impactful than, mm. than that. So, yeah, that's really important. But obviously with anything, you just have to be anti-racist, anti, uh, anti-queerphobic. Yeah, and and so yeah, anything like that is just always going to be super supportive. Um, yeah, building, strengthening community support structures. So like we talked about with mental health resources and support um, with, you know, medical practices that really understand our lived experiences and our culture. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the main things I would say. I think also just really, you know, reading this report, I think not only as a queer South Asian person, but I think just as anyone seeing a community who has dealt with so much and that has been invisibilized for so long, you know, it's really eye-opening to, I think, 
read about these experiences and get to know the people behind, you know, the trauma and everything that we've been through. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it would definitely be amazing to, to give it a read and just to kind of reflect, I guess, on your own, um, your own behavior and the ways that you might have previously, you know, looked at people who were, uh, queer and South Asian and how that kind of mixes together because, uh, yeah, even for myself who, who, you know, someone who is queer South Asian, like being able to read about it was a really incredible, like reflective experience for myself. So, um, yeah, I'd love to know what other people think and, and, you know, how it kind of helps them maybe, yeah, look at the community a little bit differently. Hmm. Uh, and now with the report, um, you know, finalized, um, what are your plans with um, maximizing the usage of the report? Yeah, so I think it's mostly been um, like a lot of what those recommendations are talking about. Um, it's really about raising awareness. I think this was for sure the kind of first step in being able to build those, you know, structures and resources that we need. Um, so being actually able to understand the community that exists is, you know, so important. And we didn't want to kind of rush into anything or rush to, you know, making um, claims or, uh, you know, resources or anything before we really understood who the people were that were going to be receiving them. Um, so, yeah, right now I think we're just kind of raising awareness about the report, getting it out to as many people as possible, and, um, yeah, just kind of letting them have a read for themselves, get to understand um, our community, what we need, um, you know, what our kind of collective experiences that we've been through. Um, and then I think from there hopefully make some, you know, policy recommendations about how we can kind of, uh, you know, support those uh, dealing with mental health struggles, men, uh, dealing with, you know, that need, uh, accessible health services um yeah and yeah i guess just kind of really providing like an ed- educational resource that we're hoping will be transformational for people to really understand who we are and to um you know understand our experiences and, and support us in any way possible mm. yeah, yeah thank you so much kieran for sharing um the report i think because as someone who read the whole thing uh, it's like a bedtime <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, leisure thing, you know. Uh, it was yeah, quite traumatizing, yeah. but um, it wasn't easy read because it wasn't that long. It wasn't like a huge report. It was condensed. Um, yeah. And um, like the aesthetic, it's pretty as well. So it was nice to yeah. read. <laughs> Kudos I think it's very to that. Accessible, like, like yeah, yeah. Very, like I think yeah, I always get. Whenever I click into like a, a research report or something, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to like try and understand all the jargon. Understand yeah, yeah, like black and white, you know, but this yeah, is like quite like colorful. Five, yeah, five, sen- five line long sentences, like, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's super accessible and just super easy to understand and just see these stories at a glimpse that, you know, hopefully inspires people and hopefully allows them to just, you know, really mm. see who we are and, um, yeah, support us in, in any way possible. Hmm. Yeah. So how would people connect with Adika Aotearoa? Um, can you share with us the website and any yeah, context? Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So you can visit us up on... God, I'm losing my words <laughs> right at the end. Uh, you can visit us on adikaaotearoa.co.nz. Uh, we have uh, the Adika report on there as well, but you can also learn more about the team, how to contact us, contact us if you you know want to uh share any stories or um you know just kind of get in just kind of you know uh get in contact with us learn about who we are um we also have an instagram page as well which is just adika altadola and you know we regularly post stories on there we sometimes post snippets from uh things work we're currently doing and um yeah that's probably the best place to kind of get it keep in um, you know, content, constant contact with us as well mm. and just see what we're up to. Um, yeah, also a Facebook page too. Uh, we, we have 
uh, that's Aurikao as well. Um, so yeah, quite a few places to yeah just kind of see what we're up to and, and learn more about us. Hmm. Would you mind uh, spelling Aurikao for the listeners? Yes. Yep. So that is A D H I K A A R A O T E A R O A. Um, and then yeah. Yeah, and Adika means freedom. It does. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of use that as a tagline for you know freedom to live as you are, freedom to love who you want to love, uh, freedom to express yourself as you need to. It's kind of the perfect, I think, bow on Such a <laughs> the perfect work that word. we're trying to do. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, thank you so much, Kieran. Before we go, I do want us to talk a bit about well-being. Um, yeah. You know, we did talk a bit about that in the beginning, uh, but I always want to connect with my guests in a way that is meaningful. And mm-hmm. uh, talking about mental health and well-being, it's one of those ways where you can, you know, just share insights on how people are doing as well. Um, so, um what do you do for your well-being? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> that's actually a really good question because I think while I've had this time off, I've actually been considering uh, what it is that helps my well-being. You know, I think, um, yeah, definitely while I was working, the big thing was trying to be active and be away from my desk. I think just being able to go for a run, um, you know, after work and get some fresh air and um, move my body a little bit was really helpful. Um, I think now it's... Honestly, I I really love just being around nature. I think we're so lucky to, especially be in a country that just has so much around us, Um, you know, so many nice walks, so many nice places to go visit, so many places to just sit outside and, you know, be surrounded by the birds and the trees and the grass and all of that kind of stuff. Um, So I've really been taking advantage of that, especially with the nice weather, Um, you know, just going for little walks, getting to have some peace and quiet, just turning off that kind of chatter that's going on in my brain 24-7 and um, yeah, just just taking some time away. I think being able to get outside of the immediate space you're in and um, feeling kind of, you know, free and and just kind of, yeah, like able to move around and, and, um, yeah, not feel so kind of like trapped in is is Mm. really useful because I think for me, the more I'm kind of by myself and the more I'm kind of in one space, the more I just start to overthink everything and get stressed out and put a lot of pressure on myself. So I think being able to have a breather from that and just get away from it is really useful. Um, yeah, that's kind of my biggest well-being thing. I think also just taking, being easy on yourself, you know. I feel like we're so hard on ourselves. I know. So, like, we're just yeah, humans. Like, <laughs> what are I we know. doing? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> just, it's, it's, it's tough. I feel like we always, like we were talking about at the beginning, you know, there's always this need to be productive and to grow and to hustle and do all of that kind of stuff. And I think in the and the when that's going on, you're also just neglecting that part of yourself that does need to rest and does need to take it easy and does need to, you know, really um, breathe for a little bit. So, yeah, I think one, one thing that is really helpful for me when I feel like I'm being kind of too mean on myself or being too harsh, I kind of think about, like, the eight-year-old version of me, like, mm. sitting in my mind and, like, I'm kind of telling him, like, oh, stop, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm being There's this TikTok trend. Yeah, uh, yeah, have you I'm seen like, it before? Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just like think of little Kieran, and I'm like, okay, no, I, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. All right, I'll take it easy. I'll take a take a break. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think just just taking it easy. We've been through a lot, and 
um, yeah, I think I think yeah. we all deserve to have a bit of a break. <laughs> mm, like talking to your younger self is such a good idea as well. Um, I think a friend of mine has her photo of her as a as a child on as her like her phone background phone oh wallpaper so every time so she's um you know just everyday life when you think too much and you always look at your phone you know it's a constant yeah. reminder that yeah. oh you know not to be harsh on that person that's such a good idea actually yeah yeah I should do that myself <laughs> yeah let's all do that <laughs> um, yeah um what are you looking forward to do in the future and it can be tomorrow or you know in a few months <laughs> with Arika uh, just, just you just you personally oh gosh mm. um, I don't know I think I mean I think looking in the future I'm really excited to do my masters I'm really excited to be back at university I think more than anything um, especially being like a little bit older now I don't know if you found this too but like god going to university when you're 18 I don't know how anybody expects you to be able to make any decisions or like yeah. actually know what you're doing you know it's so tough and you're just learning how to you know, you've come out of high school, come out of the kind of mainstream schooling system that you've been in for 13 years, and all of a sudden you're an adult and... Being you know, expected to do everything. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah, knowing what your future career is going to be, all of that kind of stuff. So I think I found it very overwhelming the first time. Uh, but I think now I feel so confident in myself and kind of knowing what my passions are and what I, um, you know, hopefully want to want to do for the next little while. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Um Really looking forward to Christmas as well. I think getting to hang out with my family and um, especially see my nephew who lives in Auckland. Uh, he's going to be coming down. He sees one now, which is really cool. So hopefully we'll kind of get to like, you know, he'll be able to enjoy Christmas a little bit more and we can get him little presents and um, do all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that'll be really cool. Would it be his uh, first Christmas? And so it's his second Christmas, but I think he was like two or three months old at the time. That doesn't count. Sure much he would have been able <laughs> yeah. to, yeah. I feel like he kind of would have just been there, and they yeah. would have just, you know, <laughs> like my brother would have just been celebrating Christmas uh, by himself. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So hopefully now he actually gets to enjoy it, and um, you know, uh, hopefully, yeah, finds it fun. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think just take it easy and just actually really get to enjoy my time off, and um, you know, just not. Yeah, not get too stressed out. I think nothing is as serious as we kind of make it out to be. So, um, you know, I really want to just be able to enjoy myself and, uh, you know, go for little walks and cook and do all the very basic boring things that, um, you know, I think is so important to, you know, like you were saying about well-being. It's so important to kind of stay sane and, and, you know, stay stable. So, hmm. um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking forward to all of it, especially summer. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, it will be warmer. I really hope so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially after the winter we've had. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just want to be at the beach, I think, every day. <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you so much, Karen. I really appreciate this conversation. Not just the Adika Aotearoa conversations, but everything else in between. Yeah, mm. well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for reaching out as well. Like, you just seem so incredible. I, I've only done a bit of a... Uh, LinkedIn stalk but you just seem like you're doing so much and so talented um yeah thank you so much for having me on here it's really thank cool you for being here on Connecting Culture yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank awesome. you thanks for listening to Connecting Culture's features on RFM
dalam sendu Waktu pun enggan untuk berlalu Ku berjanji untuk menutup pintu hatiku Entah untuk siapapun itu Semakin ku lihat masa lalu Semakin hatiku tak menentu Tetapi satu sinar terangi jiwaku Saat ku melihat senyummu Dan kau hadir Merubah segalanya Menjadi lebih indah Kau bawa cintaku setinggi angkasa Membuatku merasa sempurna Dan membuatku
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.